0: Okay. Hello, and welcome to Winner Take All. Uh, we're still figuring out the Connecticut studio, but we talk about basically the intersection of large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So today uh, we have more coronavirus topics um, as to be expected. And the first one is to talk about content platforms. You know, Content platforms are businesses like a Facebook, um, a Google, businesses that are Connecting people, consumers to different forms of content, right? And so there's a couple stories out about what Facebook is doing in a good way to help provide a hundred million dollar grant to assist small businesses. So basically, what they're doing is saying, hey, here's a hundred million dollars for thirty thousand small businesses in thirty different nations to give them basically ad inventory. And this is Facebook ad inventory, right? So, they're not technically writing a check for $100 million, but they are giving um, their existing inventory, Facebook ad inventory, valued at $100 million to small businesses so that they can use these ads to continue generating demand and, and boost their sales. You know, it, it's a nice gesture uh, is, is what I would qualify it as. We're all familiar with TikTok. Owned by ByteDance, the largest private tech company in the world, um, TikTok has been blowing up in the United States. It's a short form video content platform. And uh, what is now announced is that their rival here is now entering the United States. It's, it's uh, YY um, and Huya, uh, and they own different kind of content platforms, live streaming platforms. Game streaming platforms in China and in Asia. And I don't know how you pronounce this likey. It's like with two E's. Whatever. They're coming to the United States. They, I guess they feel like now is a particularly good time to come. We've seen reports that Netflix is being, is, is agreeing with EU regulators to, to throttle uh, the quality of the video in Europe to try and keep the. Bandwidth in Europe um, functioning, because there's such a huge spike in video consumption in Europe. Um, Similarly, we're seeing things like that in the U.S. as well. But I guess, I don't know, we haven't had to go to those degrees to throttle the quality of the video going through our pipes. Nonetheless, um, Likey has hired 100 people in the United States, half of whom are going to focus on content moderation. Um, I get confused with Bigo and all the different names in here. Whatever. Call it Likey. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it properly, but whatever. They're coming here. This is a top 10 app in India and other parts of Asia, and now it's coming to the United States. Now, this is a good example, right? If, let's say, Facebook wanted to go to China, Facebook would need to have all of its people based in China. Facebook would also have to comply with all of the Chinese government's rules around content regulation and moderation and all all these other uh, things. But this company is coming into the United States. They're hiring 100 people, right? But they have um, 4,500 people outside of the United States that are actually working uh, in other parts of the business. So it's just another example of showing how the tech protectionism that China set up, uh, for particularly you know nurturing its tech startup community going back i don't know 10 20 years now right it, the barrier to entry for in this case chinese tech companies to come into the to the united states is basically non-existent they've got 100 people here um i content moderation aren't very high paying jobs, right? I guarantee you the engineering, the product development, all of that is still based over in Asia and not in the U.S., right? Same thing with TikTok. You know, there are some jobs here, but you don't have anywhere near the level of uh, mandates protectionism that China puts on U.S. tech companies when trying to enter the Chinese market. You basically have none of that when Chinese companies want to come into the United States. Now, this is a free and open market, and so on and so forth, and all these other kinds of things. But you do have to ask yourself um, if we would like a fair playing field on both sides of the spectrum, you know, is a heightened degree of rules and constraints appropriate for Chinese tech companies coming to, into the United States, just from a wanting a fair playing field standpoint, A, and B, When we understand the fact that pretty much every single tech company that is Chinese is basically an arm of the authoritarian Chinese Communist Party, CCP, and that all of the data in TikTok, there are many security experts that have analyzed the TikTok app that say it's extremely intrusive, it tracks your location, and basically sucks all the data off of your phone, a bunch more data than it actually needs to actually serve its purpose of um, letting you surf short form videos. That's why you've seen the, the different military and DOD departments ban uh, the ability for sailors in the Navy or, or army members uh, to have TikTok on their phones and still connect to the different DOD networks. So all of the data that, that a likey that a TikTok is collecting is going to be at the behest of whatever the Chinese Communist Party would like to do with it. Um, we've covered this story many, many times in the past. So it all goes back to beg the question to say, should we keep uh, no barriers to entry from Chinese tech companies that want to come into the United States? I think it deserves um, a once over and I think it deserves some review just purely in the, even if you take the national security risks out of, out of the conversation, purely just wanting a fair playing field for us tech companies to be able to go similarly and operate in China, which we all know is basically never going to happen. Last, uh, Story here on um, on content platforms is uh, this article here, which came out today, looking at the 09 crash. And you can see here the dotted red line is the decline in ad spending uh, on Facebook and Google in the 08-09 recession. So this is not, again, the same. This isn't the same exact scenario, but you can see here basically at the peak of it, a dip of about 15% um, decline in ad spending. Uh, That's in Q3 of 2019. Uh, So, but, but for about three quarters, Q1, Q2, Q3, 2019, you had a 15% dip. Um, Then you had a spike, uh, a much larger spike in ad spending coming off into 2010, right? So a dip and then um, a lull and then a spike. So, Uh, we don't exactly know what the data is on, um, Facebook and Google, but we do know again, that larger companies, we saw that TikTok is the largest advertiser on Snapchat. Ironically enough, larger companies still have their ad budgets that they can deploy on Facebook and Google. But, uh, for smaller businesses, again, where Facebook is providing that hundred million dollar grant for smaller businesses, will smaller businesses still be able to maintain the same level of ad spend on Facebook or Google? I think the answer is no, they won't be. The question is really, how much is that decline uh, attributed to small business? And so we're still trying to figure that out. We still don't know yet, uh, but more to come on that. So the next topic here is around gaming. And uh, we've seen a 75% uh, uptick in gaming usage due to um, everyone needing to shelter in place and work from home. Um, video streaming has seen a bump of 12 percent this is during peak hours so that's a, uh, a twitch or microsoft's mixer platform the uh, the gaming live streaming platforms yy that we were covering in china also has uh, live game streaming platforms as well so this data is coming from verizon that they see a 75 percent um, increase in in basically what web traffic is being attributed to and where all of that is going. Uh, so that makes sense. You can see here, Twitch viewership increased 10%. YouTube gaming went up by 15%. Platform stocks that we have in plat in the gaming space would be something like Zynga. Pretty sure Zynga's stock was, I mean, well, actually all of plat was up about 4.5% today as compared to QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, which was, I think, around maybe 1.5%. S&P was, I, I think, up around 2% today. So you saw massive sell-offs the past two days, and then you saw um a uh, a, a bump going up today in the markets. And interestingly enough, plat doing uh, quite well against its pure set today. Zynga, an example of a of a social gaming platform that is in plat and uh and I think did better than you know the average index of four and a half percent in today's bounce back. So there's a couple of stories here on Amazon. Amazon we spoke about yesterday, is trying to hire a hundred thousand people is trying to focus just selling essential items on Amazon. And um, today we're hearing the, basically the repercussions of that decision to just focus on really just reserving the fulfillment for essential items are sellers that are saying, Hey, I may need to scale back my operations or I may need to lay off people as a result of not being able to sell my full product catalog. So Amazon sellers are worried their businesses will be hit hard by the company's decision to prioritize shipments of household products and medical supplies. Some sellers who sell products not related to the coronavirus uh, said that the decision forced them to cut costs and furlough employees, while others are bracing for potential layoffs. And they're also saying that some of these merchants have been hit by factories in China not coming back online yet, and so they just don't have product to sell. From Amazon's perspective, Amazon's okay, but there are other repercussions, as you can see from Amazon's actions, just from an economic standpoint and and uh, and what other businesses that are dependent upon Amazon and what's going to happen to those. From Amazon tech monopoly, healthy balance sheet, generally, over the mid to long term, you're going to see these large tech monopolies with healthy balance sheets actually be able to um, use these periods to their advantage uh, because they can use the strength of that balance sheet to uh, continue to invest in growth, whereas others may not be able to invest or or invest as much and they'll need to scale back. These tech monopolies are in a great position to continue to double down and continue to spend. Another example of that is uh, Amazon buying the Lord and Taylor building for $1.15 billion in a time where you, where you may think that real estate buying is, is definitely going to be scaled back, we've, seen, we've spoken about Zillow stock, Redfin stock taking huge hits over the past few weeks. As the real estate markets get thrown into flux, you now see Amazon buying the Lord & Taylor building for $1.15 billion here, saying that this is going to be their New York City headquarters and they're going to put several thousand employees in the coming years into this building. What was interesting is this building was actually leased by WeWork. And so this, this was, a, I thought, a, a pretty funny line here. The lion's share of the deal consists of Amazon paying off $750 million in construction loans taken out for WeWork's lavish, re, lavish renovation of the space. The remainder consists of $350 million in equity for the building's current owners. This was really paying off debt to pay for what WeWork was going to do to the building, um, funnily enough, and, and, and not as much in equity. But um, so you see stuff like this. Going deeper into real estate, though, we saw this news from Redfin. So Redfin is temporarily suspending home buying amid the market slump. We have spoken about how Zillow and Redfin, both real estate platforms, have linear activities to buy homes and then resell homes. Buy homes, put it on balance sheet, and then resell the home. Zillow calls it Zillow Offers. Zillow had been aggressively scaling Zillow Offers over the past over 12 months now. They had been taking losses because they were trying to scale this so aggressively. Opendoor is the linear private competitor uh, that Redfin has partnered with on home buying. Looks like Redfin, I didn't even know this, is doing its own home buying in addition to their partnership with Opendoor, interestingly enough. And so um, yesterday, Redfin said they're going to suspend the home buying. Definitely the right decision. Real estate prices, as we spoke about yesterday, illiquid investments are going to be hit a lot harder than liquid investments like public equities. Public equities being able to benefit from all of the stimulus, interest rate cuts, and so on and so forth that the federal government and the Fed are able to do to try and stabilize and juice the markets. Illiquid assets are going to bounce back much more slowly, like real estate. So these companies... Yes, if you're buying in a handful of the hottest metropolitan markets, those real estate markets are much more fluid and much more liquid. But um, Zillow, and I don't know the extent of Redfin's program in this, certainly Open door they're buying in 20 or 40 different cities. And so as you go into the you know tier two or possibly tier three markets, again, they're going to have less liquidity or a longer timeline for, for real estate prices to either stabilize or bounce back. A good decision to do this. I think the question is for Zillow that I think has a much more aggressive program in Zillow offers, how much inventory, how much real estate does Zillow have on its balance sheet? And, you know, how much of that is underwater right now? Hmm. That's going to be interesting. Um, One bright spot, though, is I have heard in some tier two markets, I have some friends down in Charleston, for example, that still say the real estate markets are progressing strongly. People are wanting to buy homes or refinance homes because you've got 0% interest right now. So there, you do see that you know not everything has gone to a standstill. There is still activity here. But at the scale that these platforms are operating, as a scale that these companies were rolling out, these linear buying and reselling home activities, there's definitely a lot more potential for them to get it wrong and have uh, assets on their balance sheet that are now underwater especially given that these programs were losing money in the first place. Zillow offers uh has continued to lose money quarter over quarter. Just the point is they've been losing less money, but they were still losing money as they were getting to scale and optimizing the business model. So the last point here is around uh just the trend here about again, illiquid assets being hurt harder that includes startups and tech investing. Um there's another article out here From CB Insights showing what they project to be the decline in private market funding. Um, You can see here, I guess they were expecting it to be around $77 billion uh, in Q1 of 2020. Now they're tranching this down to $67 billion. Now, you got to remember, this has really all come into light in the past few weeks. You still had a pretty much unaffected January and most of February. Uh, So this is really looking at, I'd say, the full month of March, maybe the last week of February, a little bit. But we're only a few weeks into this. So I think when you look at what Q2, Q2 of 2019 was $90 billion. So when you say, what's Q2 of 2020 going to be? And is that decline going to be greater than, say, you know, 10 to 15%, which is what they're roughly predicting for Q1 of 2020. And I would say, absolutely, you're going to see a much bigger decline than 10 to 15% compared to where Q2 of 2020 should have been. And the VCs I've been talking to, they are doing a wholesale strategy reassessment. And I think a lot of VCs are actually going to scale back. They might even trim some of their expenses. Um, Again, these illiquid markets, and what valuations are these startups going to be able to command? What startups have a healthy enough balance sheet that they can make it through this? What startups you know, are going to be heavily impacted by the business? All of these things are being um, reanalyzed inside of VCs and probably many private equity firms for that matter. So it does not it's not a good situation for tech startups. The last closing note is if we look at... Blue Apron stock. Remember Blue Apron, not a platform, but Blue Apron is at 14 bucks a share. They IPO'd at over $100 a share in 2017. This is the home meal kit delivery company. Here's their past month. They were at two bucks a share. Now they're at over 14 bucks a share because everyone is uh, you know, wanting home deliveries. Now here's the question. When coronavirus passes over whatever timeline that may be, three months, six months, where will Blue Apron's share price go? Will it go back down two bucks a share or five bucks a share or is it going to stay above 10 bucks a share? If you ask me, I think it's going to go back down. But uh, it's interesting to see, again, uh, how, how this massive wholesale change in behavior, needing to work from home and shelter in place, is um, is fundamentally shifting the, the spread of dollars, the demand profile, and the fortunes or misfortunes of, uh, of some of these companies. This one not being a platform company. So more on this tomorrow. Um, fortunately, the studio is literally where I live now. So I can do this pretty much every day, assuming I can prepare for the show. Uh, if you have questions or topics that you would like to discuss or me to research or, or comment on, Uh, chat us, let me know, tweet us and, uh, hope everyone's staying safe, staying healthy and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us.